Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds, a great app from an established company that's been providing payroll services for over 30 years in all 50 states. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. They bought virtual real estate. They are the first accounting firm, big accounting firm to do this. Wait, so and who is selling who is selling real estate in the metaverse? So apparently there's a there's a metaverse called Sand. It's a decentralized blockchain-based gaming world within the metaverse where users can buy, sell, and customize virtual plots of land, which they own in game, non-fungible tokens. He has all the buzzwords. Okay. <laughs> PwC in Hong Kong decided like this was valuable to go there. And they bought land there. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our last episode of 2021. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, did you have good holidays? How was your Christmas? I know you already got your Mac, your MacBook Pro or whatever. It's kind of an early Christmas gift then. Yeah, uh, it went great. It's been wonderful seeing the family. My brother's staying with us. Had a great time. And uh, today is Thursday. It's December 30th. So just getting through the weekend and then back to it. Well, as I discussed last episode, Earmark is going great. The launch is good. We've got hundreds of users already on the app without much promotion at all. So I'm excited. I hope it's working well for everyone. If you haven't checked it out yet, go to earmarkcpe.com, sign up, download the app for Apple or Android devices, and you can get CPE credit for listening to this episode and many more Cloud Accounting Podcast episodes, Earmark Accounting Podcast episodes, and I'm working on getting other accounting and tax podcasts on there as well. That's great. I have to give a QuickBooks Online some kudos this week. For? For saving me. So remember, I had BBVA Compass, or BBVA got bought by PNC Bank, and it's just has been this mess. There's no bank feeds. Well, worse than that, I go to download paper statements, and there's this link on PNC's website that says, download your old BBVA bank statements. And I go there, and you can download April of 2021, May of 2021, July of 2021, August, September, you cannot download the June statements. Just the June statements are they missing. They just don't exist on the website. They just don't <laughs> exist anywhere. What is like, what is going on? Well, it's a total mess. And, I, and and so I was like, okay, I was telling my intern, I was like, you have to reconcile July and we're just going to have to guess to pick those transactions that are more cleared and hopefully we come out to that inning balance. And it's really, it's a, it's a total guessing game. QuickBooks saved the day. Do you remember when QuickBooks announced they're going to start downloading state bank statements automatically? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So way back in the day when the bank feed was working before PNC broke it, QuickBooks was quietly just downloading the bank statements. Oh, you see, you have them. I have them. They're all in QuickBooks. QuickBooks pulled down the June one, the July one. Obviously, it stopped in October when PNC messed it all up. But kudos to QuickBooks for saving the day. I'm so happy for you. That's great. What an unexpected Christmas gift for you, David. Yes. I mean, and it makes sense, right? Like, because right now I am going around downloading bank statements, right? And getting the PDFs and manually reconciling things. And there is something to be said about the bank statements just being there when you're ready for them. I know they can't do it with all banks, but man, it is. If you haven't tried it with your clients, I'd say like, make sure it's set up because the bank statements are just there, ready to go at the reconcile screen. You know, you're not hunting around, opening up shared drives, trying to find them, emailing clients, right? Yes, it was like a gift from QuickBooks. So they saved me. 
Well, speaking about QuickBooks, we do have updates to share when we get to app news. We've got Expensify earnings. What else do we have today, David, to talk about? It's the end of the year. Predictions, like all that stuff. Predictions, yes. I have some updates on some previous other stories that we've talked about recently. I've got a fun Elon Musk quote, since we love talking about him and his taxes. The IRS is doing a poor job of protecting taxpayer information. They are at risk of hacking, according to a recent report. I got uh, updates about the restaurant revitalization fund. Oh, we had Uh, some PPP fraud here in Phoenix. I think I saw some things like that. Were these your neighbors? Well, nine people in the valley, the Valley of the Sun. And so, so people can understand, that's like pushing 4 million people now in a huge square mile radius. I believe the Phoenix Metro is now the fifth largest city in America. Okay. Yeah, we're big. So, so, so it's not really your neighbor. The odds would be very small. Yes. But they are in my neighboring city. Phoenix is now the fifth largest by population. So continue on. What, what was the oh. fraud? Like, what did they get busted Oh, you, you want to, we'll start with that? Yeah, okay. let's jump in. Nine Valley people indicted in PPP fraud scheme totaling more than $23 million. According to the indictments... From April 2021, the conspirators in the scheme submitted or assisted in submitting PPP loan applications on behalf of 18 businesses seeking loans between $100,000 and $2.2 million for each company. There's a list of the defendants, all between the age of 39 and 56. FBI found them, caught them, and I said it, $23 million in funds. They basically just made up the businesses, it seems like, or maybe they were existing businesses, but they definitely didn't have the number of employees, the amount of payroll that they were seeking. It sounded like a lot of this fraud, which is the crazy part, was spin up a new EIN or a fake EIN and just go apply. Yeah, or just steal somebody's, right? If you know their EIN and their address, I think you could just do it. So speaking of relief, right? The, The PPP loan fraud. Well, remember the restaurant relief fund? Yes. And it kind of got a slow start. Then it finally came out. And, and the point of it, you know, they wanted to give priority treatment to um, underserved women, minorities. They wanted to give them priority in this distribution of money. The problem was there was only $28.6 billion and the industry really thinks they probably needed $100 billion total. I didn't hear about this and we didn't talk about it on the show. Apparently, after this started to roll out, there was a lawsuit from white male business owners. Did you know this? Oh, yeah. I heard about this. And because of that, they got a stay. They had to open it up to everybody, the platform, the program. Right. The New York Times was able to get SBA data and records and really looked at it. And what was happening is it's very clear the day that stay happened, the people getting the money changed. When they initially... Because originally, this was for women, military veterans, racial, cultural groups, right? After the court challenges, they put a halt to that. And then they were supposed to only distribute it in order which the applications are received. But that's not what happened. One person, he, um, James Hutton, he submitted one minute after it opened on May 3rd, seeking $2.4 million. And at the end of June, he was denied. But somebody else who applied on May 24th, which is the last day the program accepted applications, that person was approved. So it's very clear they did not go in order that the applications were received. And so this is kind of still being investigated by the New York Times, but it turns out that this uh, whole program kind of might have been a failure. We have future uh, lawsuits waiting to happen here, right? Yes. I have some good news for the uh, employees of West Virginia. Is this related to 
that hack, the ransomware attack on Kronos, the, the timekeeping app? And payroll app. So 60,000 West Virginia state employees will actually finally get paid on December 31st. Oh, they haven't been getting paid since this happened? They have not gotten paid. Oh my gosh. So they had to go through Christmas holidays with <laughs> with no pay in West yeah. Virginia. You said 60,000? Yes. Oh my gosh. And, and the state auditors, auditor, JP McKiskey, says every employee needs to double check their pay stub and give instructions on how to go in and choose pay stubs. And you have, Because I think they can't trust the system at all. They said, and I'll quote, right now it's unclear when the employees will have access to Kronos again. We believe that at least one more payroll will be affected with Kronos. The information from them is coming at a trickle. I would prefer it to be coming like a fire hose, but we believe it will be at least one more payroll. But my guess that it will be two. So do we have any updates about like the attack? I haven't seen any news about Kronos recently. It's been pretty quiet. It's just, it's not good timing between the holidays and the end of the year. Like how hard is it for somebody, a big the state payroll to move 60,000 employees to a new payroll for January 1st. Yeah. But at least, at least they're getting paid. It didn't really say like how they're getting paid. I think people are doing it by hand. So one of our listeners, uh, Nicole, her boyfriend works for an agency that has been impacted by this. And they're, she said they're doing all the payroll by hand now. Wow. Can you imagine being a payroll clerk and having to do it all by hand until this gets sorted out? Considering you probably haven't done payroll by hand in maybe your entire career. At this point, payroll has been one of the first computerized things that I'm at scale. Somebody, uh, you know, close to retirement is like, it's my moment to shine. Breaks out the old books on how to do this, dusts them off, pulls out the spreadsheet. How to look up the withholding <laughs> tables the and all that. All right, kids, gather around. Let's learn how to calculate this manually. Wow. This article in Silicon Angle says that the ransomware attack still hasn't been sorted out. So the systems are still down. Here's another one, securitysystemsnews.com, talking about how the ransomware attack is impacting major Maine employers. Maine Health and Hannaford, two of Maine's largest employers, were affected by this. So this article was just from a few days ago, so it's still an issue. Maine Health has 22,000 employees in 11 counties in Maine and Carroll County, North uh, New Hampshire, and they use it to track hours. So I guess a lot of companies use it for timekeeping. I think they always had a physical box on the wall. Right. Like a true punch clock, and then that electronically yaps with a server and right. gets to a payroll system. So if you were just using it for timekeeping, you could kind of work around that, right? Get people just to record time on paper timesheets if you have to. It'll be, it would suck to process that, but you could do it. Oh, man. What a disaster. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Tally4. Tally4 is the tax flow tool empowering CPA firms to automate the tax trial balance, allowing them to save hours on each return by flowing the data from the books to the trial balance to the tax forms in three easy steps. Import, adjust, and file. Import. Tally4 can connect to Xero, both QuickBooks Online and Desktop, Sage Intact, or Excel to pull the trial balance automatically. Adjust. Your accounting and tax teams can collaborate to make all the necessary tax-based adjustments to the trial balance. You can even distribute and assign the work accordingly. File. Once the tax trial balance is completed and approved, Tally4 can automatically send the trial balance data to any of the leading tax software apps that you may be using, including UltraTax, LACERT, Drake, CCH Access, Engagement, and ProSystemFX. 
Tally4's import, adjust, and file process will help you reduce the time it takes to create a tax return from multiple hours to just minutes. To learn more about using Tally4 in your CPA firm, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Tally4. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash T-A-L-L-Y-F-O-R. Well, do we have any uh, good news this week? The new year is coming. We always do a predictions I still episode. have a couple more small things that are not – I wouldn't say they're good or bad, but they're a little eye-rolling. Okay. First one kind of is a little bit of follow-up. You know, we've talked a lot about students not being prepared, this next generation. Oh, accounting students not accounting being ready students, right? for the world of work. Yeah. This was in Journal of Accountancy. It was an opinion piece, but it didn't have a title. And maybe the title could be like how to connect with your younger staff. I don't know. Right, something like this. She's an educator, Nancy Bagranoff, CPA, DBA. And she's talking just some tips on how to connect with your younger generation employees. You know, things like, hey, it's it's about listening to them. As the business world becomes increasingly tech-focused, you as faculty must get those same skills. You just can't expect the students to do it on their own. And you need to prepare those students. And the third one that really hit with me is And she goes on to say, one thing I love about being in an accounting department is that I think we have a closer relationship with practice than any other discipline. Students need to understand all the professional opportunities available to them. And this kind of hit home with me with my two interns because we went and visited um, Beach Fleischman. I went to the firm just to talk to them a little bit about cast stuff and apps and things like that. And I had them just shadow me and come along. And they are going to graduate this year. They didn't know kind of that cast divisions existed in accounting firms <laughs> and that they're kind of the, the fastest growing, most opportunistic role you could probably get in an accounting firm. And they didn't know about it. They're pumped out to only know about tax and audit. Well, that's because these departments are funded by donations from large accounting firms. And what do those firms need? They need tax and audit. And that's what these professors teach. I mean, the whole CPA curriculum and the exam for decades and decades and decades has existed to produce junior accountants at large accounting firms. And that is all falling apart now. It's all getting disrupted. I like to feel like we're doing our little part in that. We're trying. A teeny bit. We are really trying. <laughs> Nothing illustrates the disconnect better than going, going on to r slash accounting on Reddit and reading what these students are figuring out and what it's like being in the big four. I mean, campus recruiters can't hide just how bad it can be anymore because you can just go and read the real experiences of anonymous accountants at large firms talking about what it's like. And here's how bad it, it is. So I found another article. This was in the BBC. So this is out of the UK. Here's the title of the article. Why I quit an accountancy career to be a prison officer. <laughs> Really? Really. This is a real article. Okay. This actually ties into we were talking about keeping people at your firm or what they're looking for. Her name's Caprice. At 18 years old, she embarked on a five-year degree apprenticeship in accountancy with a top firm. After four years, passing all her professional exams, uh, getting her university, her degree from University of Birmingham, uh, Birmingham, she just didn't believe that accountancy was going to keep her from getting out of bed. The thing is here, now her quote, in prison, every day I feel like I'm genuinely helping someone. And what this is tells me is she worked in the accounting industry for four years, five years, and she never had that feeling she was helping anybody. 
people want that feeling with their firm. We talked about that value prop of Intuit's QuickBooks Live or TurboTax Live, the yeah, ability yeah. To, to help people. And if you're not giving that to your firm employees, they're going to leave to become prison guards. And not to knock on that, like she wound up going to a graduate program and a master's degree in rehabilitation. Like, so it's not like she's not helping people. I'm not knocking this. I'm just, it's more of a knock on the accounting industry that like, this is how drastic of a change somebody would make in their career because of accountancy. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head there with the feeling of having purpose and meaning. Now, this is in the UK, you said? This is in the UK. Yeah. I feel like maybe prisons in the UK are doing a better job of rehabilitating people than here. And I just suspect that being a, a, a prison guard here is not quite as rewarding as it might be there. Well, uh, mind you, she uh, said she almost, there was an assault like her for her first week there. Um, somebody had a, a, a makeshift weapon made out of tin cans. Okay. Um, All right. And apparently there's a thousand prisoner office job positions available right now. So huh. just like the accounting industry can't hire, neither can the prison industry. Like everybody's struggling for, for bodies. So maybe the headline should have been accountant decides working in prison is better than working in an accounting firm. Well, I, I don't think... Prison, I think you and prison, I would have wrote the head that way because that's our audience. I don't know who the yeah. audience of this article was in the BBC. And maybe that's our episode title. May, yeah, maybe. Working at a prison is better than working at your accounting firm. Here's a related story also from the United Kingdom. Audit profession unattractive to new recruits, says PwC boss. This was in the Financial Times. Kevin Ellis is the head of PwC over in the UK. And basically, he blames external negativity for the challenge that PwC is having attracting new recruits right now. It's amazing. He says, retaining qualified auditors, quote, becomes much harder if there's a current of external negativity. Audit still has a halo for entry-level recruits, as it's seen as a trusted business training. However, its attractiveness is damaged if the external narrative from politicians and regulators focuses on the negatives rather than its critical importance to the economy, supporting investment decisions and capital market confidence. At a time when investors want to assess businesses on climate and other ESG issues, the audit profession can't afford to lose capacity. We need more auditors, not fewer. And then he adds that when criticizing auditors, it's important to distinguish between cases, quote, where with hindsight, auditors had turned out to be wrong, unquote, and those where there had been, quote, bad behavior, unquote, by accounting firms. So, so is he saying like the audit profession just needs better PR? Yeah, he's basically saying it's not our problem. It's, it's all this bad coverage that we've been getting in the press that's making it hard for us to attract new auditors. And they have been getting terrible coverage in the press. Some of the biggest failures of companies in public markets in the last year or two have been in the UK. Carillion, Patisserie, uh, Valerie, retailer BHS, the auditors in the UK all failed to find massive problems that led to their collapse. And so the public is asking, well, what, what are you there for if you're not going to protect us from this kind of stuff? And they've been fined record amounts for audit failures. I mean, this is leading to like the, the breakup in the UK. They want to break them up. Yeah, it's led to a lot. Yeah, exactly. It just shows you how the people running these big firms are just totally out of touch or unwilling to accept responsibility for the crappy work they do. I mean, the system is set up in a way that auditors really don't have a lot of responsibility in the end for any of this stuff. They protect themselves. 
and they're not really protecting the markets. To connect these two stories we've been talking about, right? Maybe the reason that they're having trouble attracting auditors is because the pay is crappy and the work sucks and people are finally saying, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's not worth it. And the pandemic is one of those things that sort of reset people's expectations about what work should be like. Give us reasonable hours. Give us good pay. This was somebody at PNC in the UK. PwC. This is the head of PwC in the UK. I have great news for him. What's that? He needs to talk to PwC in Hong Kong because PwC in Hong Kong just purchased virtual land in the metaverse called the Sandbox. What? Metaverse? In the metaverse. Oh, okay. And they bought virtual real estate. They are the first accounting firm, big accounting firm to do this. Wait, so and who is selling who is selling real estate in the metaverse? So apparently there's a there's a metaverse called Sand. It's a decentralized blockchain-based gaming world within the metaverse where users can buy, sell, and customize virtual plots of land, which they own in game, non-fungible tokens. Oh, he has all the buzzwords. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> PwC in Hong Kong decided like this was valuable to go there. And they bought land there. Now I think the play is from this press release, they talk about how They can play a valuable role in growing the metaverse by creating an environment where blue chip investors and brand name companies can feel comfortable familiarizing themselves with Web3 technology according to the media release. So this is really a marketing play by PwC to be able to go to, I don't know, GE and be like, GE, hey, we'll show you how to buy land in this metaverse. You want to go audit? Like go live in your metaverse and audit, I guess. I don't know. Well, but this is the consulting side. This is where they're making lots of money and having fun in the metaverse. And that's the other thing is why would anyone want to go into audit these days when the pay is crappy, the hours suck, the external PR is terrible. You don't feel like you're making a difference in the world because gap financials are used less and less in making decisions about investment because our accounting standards haven't kept up with intangible assets, right? It's, It's really not an attractive career. And you have the alternative of either going into consulting or going into CAS, which are both much more rewarding. Heck, even tax is way more rewarding than audit, if you ask me. So it sounds like this this person's probably very well paid, you'd say, right? And it sounds a little whiny. Well, I have an article about somebody who's very well paid that's whining a little bit. So are, you're familiar with DoorDash, the delivery service? Yes, I use it all the time. Okay. I'm and a member. Are you familiar with, when I say the word eat your own dog food, as, as somebody now that you've worked in the app space, what that means when somebody says that? Yeah, it means that you, as a company, use your own software. So you yeah, like know I what it's Milio like. Yeah, I use Relio to run yeah. my business. I use Relay to do the accounting for our show. And when I launched View My Paycheck, I had the engineers do tech support. Like it's important, right, to talk to customers. Well, DoorDash has a policy where once a month, if you're a DoorDash employee, you have to go physically deliver food. That is great. Right. And you have to it, experience it. You have to experience it, which is going to eventually make you a better employee. Like my experience, all the best product managers I've ever worked with are the ones that were willing to like take tech support calls. Mm. The ones that refused were always dumb product managers and they make dumb mistakes, right? Because they got to know the customer and, and feel that pain the customers have. Well, you know, those social sites like Glassdoor where people go to bitch about their companies? Mm-hmm. There was an Dash employee that said his annual compensation was $400,000, complained that he had to go do this. It says, DoorDash is making engineers deliver food. He said, it will be tracked in performance reviews. What the actual F? I didn't sign up for this. There was nothing in the offer letter or job description about this. So he'd rather be a mediocre engineer instead of understanding his customers he's going to write codes for. Yeah. 
Well, then he's he's not the right fit for that kind of company. This avoidance of customers. So I know app developers listen to us. Some of you app developers are out there. Do not avoid your customers. Like it's the worst thing you can do. Yep. Or actually as a firm, right? Don't don't avoid your customers. Same thing for accounting firms is that figure out a way so that everyone in your firm interacts with the customer or the client, whatever term you like to use, at least once a month. Don't insulate people from that because as soon as you stop, then you don't know what the customer wants. You don't know the customer's desire. And that's the most important thing in building a business is keeping that customer happy. That's it. I think I have app news and then I got prediction stuff we can jump into. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. If you're wondering why OnPay is great, it's because it was built by payroll experts with over 30 years of payroll experience. They handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. Even while handling all the complicated stuff, OnPay remains an easy-to-use, full-service payroll and HR app that is the right fit for all of your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees, to help them stay organized, save time, and get compliant. OnPay has flexible and customizable integrations with QuickBooks and Xero. OnPay's partner program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts, and special bonuses for moving clients to OnPay for 2022. The program also offers a dedicated support team to offer white glove service to both you and your clients. To learn more about offering your clients the award-winning OnPay payroll and HR, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay, nobody takes better care of your clients. I just want to share this Elon Musk thing real quick. So it's just a funny quote from Elon Musk because um, he's in the news all the time about his taxes. Is he whining about his taxes? Since we're on no people whining. Okay, good. Transition away from the whining. See, he he took the other tack and he's bragging about his taxes because if Elizabeth Warren comes after you, the best strategy to defeat her is to sell a bunch of stock and pay the most taxes in the history <laughs> of the country. Yes, it's it's so great. I found this via Caleb Newquist via his excellent newsletter on the margins. Elon Musk was on an interview with the Babylon Bee, which is a conservative satire site. I've never read it. Conservative satire. I think it's like the onion, but for conservatives is how I've heard it described. Anyway, Elon Musk was on an interview and uh, this is a CNBC article extracting some quotes. So he said that his wealth of more than 245 billion is fully transparent and isn't stashed in any offshore accounts or special tax vehicles to lower his obligations. Quote, I don't have any offshore accounts, no tax shelters. H&R Block could easily do my taxes. I don't need... (laughs) That's his real quote? Yeah. H&R Block could easily do my taxes. (laughs) I don't need H&R Block. I could do it. It would take a few hours. My taxes are very basic. So... David, like this is genius, right? If I were a marketing manager at TurboTax, I would be calling up Musk and trying to get a video of him like doing his taxes on TurboTax or something. Wouldn't that be genius? And and here's the scary thing. If he tries to do his own taxes and blows it, we will now have, and this is getting predictions, the person from the outside who is now in in our industry. He will be spinning up a company to do taxes. It is possible. I have a hard time imagining that if you have that much money, it could be simple. But I guess it could be simple if it's just large numbers, but it's simple investments, right? And and he said that like his entire 
worth is in Tesla. Almost all of it is Tesla and SpaceX. And so when he sells the stock, he pays capital gains tax, right? And that's actually very simple to calculate, I think. Maybe the the number of zeros might break these programs, but if they didn't, then I guess it is possible. He's been moving crypto. There's no way it's simple. (laughs) Oh, if he has crypto, yeah. Seriously, right? Uh, Anyway, it's just funny. So H&R Block could do Elon Musk taxes. That's a challenge. You're right. Like TurboTax, somebody should jump all over this. Yeah. (laughs) Just him hammering it out. If he could do his taxes while his car drives him automatically, that's a commercial. Actually, Tesla should do a partnership where you can do your taxes while your Tesla drives you around, right? Because they had to stop with the video games. Did you hear about that? Apparently, Tesla software included video games that you could play on the Tesla screen while your car is driving itself. And the Transportation Safety Administration said, after a, apparently a long time of this being around, uh, like, that's not okay. You can't let people play video games when they're supposed to be watching the the road. Well, that was one of the, the concept videos for QuickBooks was this future state. I forgot what they called the chat thing, but in the commercial, they made like a fake future vision of QuickBooks Online and you would be talking to your QuickBooks Live Pro Advisor through the television screen in your car. <laughs> and that oh. they could totally do this, right? It'd be Elon Musk driving, TurboTax Live, Cladell would jump, pop up on the screen and be able to work with them on his taxes. Like, you know, this is into it. If you'd like us uh, to come be your marketing consultant on this, we could uh, handle this for you. So here's something else before we get to predictions. Um, I mentioned that the IRS is having issues with protecting data. And there was a report that came out in December a couple weeks ago from the Inspector General for Tax Administration, the auditor of the IRS. It's scathing. Basically, the IRS, well, here's the quote. Until the IRS takes steps to improve its security program deficiencies and fully implement all security program components in compliance with FISMA requirements, taxpayer data could be vulnerable to inappropriate and undetected use modification or disclosure. And FISMA is the Federal Information Security Modernization Act, which was passed in 2002. So I guess the IRS has, for almost 20 years, not yet complied with the (laughs) standards. It includes stuff like improperly sanitized laptops and smartphones, insecure physical door locks, inactive accounts with administrative access that nobody's disabled, inaccurate equipment inventory in the department's crime lab. Here's another quote. Configuration management compliance for Windows and Linux servers is not effective. Vulnerabilities, open past remediation timeframes are not effectively documented and tracked. So basically, in summary, it's a shit show at the IRS when it comes to this kind of stuff. And so I figured like, this is one of those things that should get both parties on board with funding the IRS better. Because Republicans are pissed off about all these leaks of taxpayer data that are coming out of the IRS, you know, the, the rich folks whose tax returns are getting leaked. Well, the only reason that's possible right now is because there's lax controls. So if you tighten up all the security, you're not going to get employees leaking this data. That's, that's a good reason. And of course, Democrats want to fund the IRS anyway. Yeah, the rich should get behind this. Yeah, exactly. They, they don't want their, their information, like you said, leaked. Maybe they should tie it to the $80 billion in funding. Because just like startups, like if a startup is going through a raise, some app is going through a raise, they're going to get $20 million. The investors, a lot of time, depending on which round it is, the company grows to a point where it has to get a security audit. And that's where they come in and like, hey, don't have any passwords on post-it notes on your monitor and all that kind of stuff. Well, and this is the problem is there, there is consensus on funding the IRS. It actually seems like the problem is that 
some lawmakers don't want to give the IRS money to increase audits. So they want to say, you can't increase audits if we give you money. But Democrats aren't willing to go along with that. So that's why we're in this sort of stalemate after this. I mean, they did get $80 billion, right, in the infrastructure bill. I'm pretty sure they got the $80 billion, but they need more, in my opinion, way more. So They've been so underfunded for so long. Can I go through a process where I can get like a badge? Like we could get audited by the AICPA and meet some security compliance and get like a, a badge, right, for our website that says like we are AICPA uh, SOC 2.0 compliant or something? Yeah, that's like SOC, the SOC stuff, SOC 2, SOC. But there's like kind of a AICPA level, like it's beyond. So it's an accounting firm, a CPA firm would audit you and give you SOC compliance under AICPA standards. And so if I had an app, I could have that on my website or the podcast yeah. could have it or who knows, whatever, right? Yeah. Why is the AICPA not working with the IRS to have them use the same badge and qualify for the badge? Technically speaking, right, I think the way these these audit things work, the vendors you're working with have to meet the compliance things too. Right. You have to do some sort of due diligence on your vendors, yeah. Right. So if the IRS is a vendor you're interacting with and sending data to and they don't meet this, how can they be issuing this to any company, any accounting firm that works with you're beyond my pay grade with these questions. I'm right, sorry. I just can't connect the IRS and the AICPA in their interactions and the demands and who does what. And it's because funding the for the IRS is politicized. The AICPA tries not to be political because its membership is so split. Rather than do anything, they do nothing. That's my opinion. The one thing in the government they should have strong opinions on is the IRS. I know. Right. But again, because of this political stalemate, the lobbying is stuck too. That's why AICPA will say, IRS is underfunded, but they won't say by how much. They, they, they have to play this game to try and keep everybody happy. Well, one day the AICPA's books will be leaked through the IRS and then maybe <laughs> something will happen. Well, they're public. Those are public. Do you want to hammer out teeny quick app news and then jump into predictions? Okay, let's see what we got. Can I do the QuickBooks online updates? Perfect. QuickBooks Cash has been renamed to QuickBooks Checking, probably because it was confusing to call a checking account cash. Because you, you know what I did in my account the what? second I opened it last, it's almost a full year now, right? I called it Checking Dash QuickBooks Cash. <laughs> so QuickBooks Cash is now QuickBooks Checking, which is a business bank account that you have inside of QuickBooks Online. They have also updated it to support Apple Pay and Google Pay. So now you can have the virtual card on your phone connected to your QuickBooks checking account and pay with your phone using those tap readers. That's pretty nifty there. There is a new invoice financing product from QuickBooks Capital. It's called Get Paid Upfront and offers smarter financing options for your business, cutting down the wait time to get paid on qualifying invoices and freeing up your cash flow. That, of course, is the marketing speak from the blog post. So let's see how this works. You pay 3% per financed qualifying invoice, and it gives you access to credit of up to $30,000. Financed invoices are interest-free for 30 days with no additional fees on ACH or credit card transactions when the customer's clients pay the invoices through QuickBooks payments in the first 30 days. So basically, they give you the cash up front, and then... When your customer pays, that settles it. Of course, if your customer doesn't pay, I think that's where the, the fees come in, right? Oh, no, you're, you're, well, you're paying the 3%. So basically, you're paying 3%. You're doing that upfront. You get the money. 
And then when the customer pays, that settles the bill. Yeah, it, it's 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 some level of factoring in the same way, you know, these third-party apps that have added on like Funbox, et cetera, that have been around. The difference is because Intuit also offers the merchant service, they kind of get in on both ends of this game. They're not charging you twice. So when the yeah. customer does pay through Coca's payments, then there's no merchant fee. Well, I, I don't understand why. Well, one drives the other, right? Like, okay, if I want to use a service because I need this service, I could use a third-party app or I could be like, oh, I guess to take advantage of this, I'll sign up for Intuit Merchant Service too. QuickBooks and, Desktop. Sorry, do you want to say something? Oh, yeah, go ahead and desktop, yeah. I'm paying attention. Locked <laughs> in. I heard that word. <laughs> QuickBooks Desktop, e-commerce integration powered by Webgility. The Webgility integration with QuickBooks Desktop unifies your e-commerce channels so your clients can manage their online sales and inventory in one place. Webgility integrates QuickBooks Desktop with your Shopify, WooCommerce, BigCommerce, Magento, stores, eBay, Amazon, Walmart, all that. And then all the transaction types, such as invoices, sales receipts, sales orders, and estimates, you can post into QuickBooks. So that's uh, good news for the desktop folks, right, David? I guess. Enabling, <laughs> enabling desktop. To stick around. To stick around forever. Here's a new QuickBooks desktop feature. Another one, David. Pay vendor bills online. Hey. Hey. That sounds familiar. Where did that come from? That might be powered by Melio. Yeah, Melio has been the bill payment in QuickBooks Online, and now it is integrated with desktop as well. So I think the desktop listeners of our podcast, all 10 of you, will be very happy to hear that. That you can pay bills online. I'm just kidding, listeners. Don't send me hate mail. I understand why you use desktop. We actually talked about that in a recent episode. And actually last episode, we had a listener write in, and I get it. Apparently Intuit ProConnect had some changes for the tax year 2022. Right before that, let me get one more QuickBooks Online update. QuickBooks Time has an update. Okay, so this is formerly T-Sheets. QuickBooks Time now allows you to onboard new employees with a unique six-digit or QR code that can be used in place of invitations. So you can just post a QR code in your break room, and then employees can scan it and get set up for tracking time. That's pretty neat. And that's it. That's all I got for QBO. Okay. You said you have ProConnect news? ProConnect news. There were some updates for ProConnect. Okay. One of the things they've added is the ability to lock returns. You couldn't lock them before. You couldn't yeah. lock them, and okay. they'll auto-lock anything that's been e-filed. So once it's e-filed, it auto-locks, which makes mm -hmm. sense because you can't be changing that once it's been e-filed. Um, but they also uh, keep a copy of the e-filed version so you can access it. So that's been added. Makes sense. Data import. They've set it up so you can drag and drop. I don't know how it was done before, but it looks like you know, you're familiar with dragging and dropping with apps like Auto Entry and Receipt Bank and HubDoc. I'm doing it right now in Notion. Okay, Notion, exactly, right? So there's drag and drops. You can drag in WTs, 1099s, 1098s. You just drag and drop, and they can import those in automatically. Nice. And then there's some smart navigation they're starting to play with where it'll figure out which form you're probably going to need next based on workflow patterns. So mm -hmm. if you're doing work in form blah, it's going to bring up form blah plus next because you need that one next. I hope the IRS does release a form blah plus someday. <laughs> blah plus. I, I didn't want to say a letter because there are forms of letters and I didn't, I didn't want to. It might be a real one. Yeah. It might be a real one. Yeah. Um, and then the ability to assign and manage work and then see status of, um, you know, if other, other people on your team have been added to a return, you can see that who else has opened the return so you can avoid making mistakes. You know, two people aren't working on the return at the same time, those types of things. So it's some collaboration stuff. And that makes sense, right? If you're going to have collaborators, you better have the ability to lock returns. 
This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Your App. Your App solves all the biggest pain points of accountants and bookkeepers. Your App can sync to all the major accounting software packages. Your App includes a client dashboard. Your App has amazing support. Your App has special pricings for accountants and bookkeepers. Your App doesn't actually exist, but if it did, all the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast would know about Your App and would be racing to the Your App website to try it out. If you want your app to be just like your app and advertise your app on the 2022 episodes of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash your app. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Y-O-U-R-A-P-P. 2022 sponsorship is now open. Are you familiar with Iris Software Group? Just in name. I haven't used any of their products. Yeah, I feel like I never heard of them until, I don't know, the last 12 months. So they're a UK company. Mm-hmm. So the Iris Software Group is a global provider of mission-critical software and one of the UK's largest privately held software companies. And they uh, have been making a push in the US market. And I didn't know this already. 50 of the top 100 CPA firms currently work with Iris Software. Um, they're using some portion of the products they offer, they, they own. Following up on other recent acquisitions, so they purchased Doc.it, a company called ConArc. Plus, they have their existing um, practice management software. They have a practice engine. I think they have a payroll product. They're like the third biggest payroll provider in the UK. They have just now purchased Accountants World. Are you familiar with Accountants World? Yeah, I've known about them for a long time. Accountants World has been, you know, they have a cloud accounting product. They have a cloud payroll product, um, other tools, document management, client portals, practice management. So they really have a, a kind of a similar stack of things that Iris has in the UK here in the States. And this was just came out this morning, this news. Liveflow has raised $3.5 million in seed funding. This was on Accounting Today. What they are building is a management hub to automate financial reporting. Tools to enable finance teams to synchronize data from accounting services, banks, and payment platforms into customized reports. They're going to use the funding to automate workflow, consolidate company accounts, and help finance teams collaborate. The funding round was led by Moonfire Ventures, backed by Y Combinator, SeedCamp, WonderCo, and executives from Google Square, Lyft, and Klarna. It's like a middleman between like a Google Sheet and your accounting software. Yeah, the headline here on their website says, it says, save countless hours on financial reporting. LiveFlow connects QuickBooks to your Google Sheet and automatically updates your financials. Spend less time manually moving data and more time driving your business forward. So basically this idea of like connecting all these systems to a spreadsheet, because we love spreadsheets for reporting. Well, that's the home. That's where accountants want to live. Yeah. When I talk about products and design for app developers, right? The closer you get your app to smell and taste like a spreadsheet, probably the better off you're going to be. <laughs> accountants want tables, tables right. and, and key, keyboard navigation. And don't try to build your own if a spreadsheet will work, just integrate with Excel or Google Sheets or both. <laughs> and for that portion of what you do, use that. I mean, that's why Flowcast succeeded. I think one of the big reasons when I was there was we offered the ability to keep using Excel, but to add on all the cloud stuff that you needed for collaboration. So you had your Excel sheets for your reconciliations, but then you had your cloud-based checklist in Flowcast. And it's the best of both worlds. Yeah, I that's think this is going to really win. be interesting as functionality that's in the no-code apps like Airtable really start getting into Microsoft Excel. The game's going to change on a lot of this stuff. I, th- I think more apps are going to just talk to Excel. Like you almost will have two homes. You'll work in like QuickBooks 
And then the other home you'll have is Excel, but all the other apps you use are going to be chatting with those two. You might not even open up these other apps anymore. So these guys do consolidated P&Ls. I know a lot of our listeners are always looking for new apps that can do consolidations with QuickBooks files. So if that's like a pain point you have and you've been looking for something, check out liveflow.io. Let me know what you think if you do try it. Expensify released their quarterly report because they're a public company now. So we're going to get to see how they're doing. For the quarter ended September 31st, the company reported revenue of $37.4 million. That is up almost 73% from the same period a year earlier. 73% growth. They reported a net loss of $6.3 million. However, that's because when they went public, they gave their employees a bonus of $26.3 million. That's how uh, all 140 employees got their extra bonus options that will vest over, what, five or six years or something? Yeah, it was a solid five years, I think. This is the crazy thing about Expensify. If you exclude that bonus, they had EBITDA of $19.8 million. So they are very, very profitable. And that's always been the thing that has stood out is so many startups, even after they go public, are just burning cash, burning cash, burning cash. And Expensify has really good profits. I think I saw something like 75, 80% of all the IPOs from 2021 are down. Yeah, not Expensify, right? I wonder. Yeah, I don't think they're on the list of being down. EXPY is their ticker. Let's see how they're doing right now as of Thursday, December 30th. They are at 42.34. They opened at 27 or something? They're down 11% for all time. So everybody's been hurting. All the fintechs have been hurting. But versus their, their opening. Well, November 12th is the first... When I go to the max on the chart in Google, it says they started at 47.62 on Friday, November 12th. They're down a little bit. So they yeah, they're down 11%. Down. But they really shouldn't be, I don't think. So they have uh, user counts in here. The average monthly paid members, this must be users, is 667,000. And that's up from 639,000 in Q2. So they added trying to do math in my head, 28,000 users in one quarter. So users is not small businesses. These are no all the employees. Expensify charges per user. So I know they have like enterprise level customers. I think like zero uses them. So how many employees does zero have? I don't know. So that number, they could be, in theory, it should be a lot bigger if you're taking on enterprises yeah. that have 20,000 employees maybe or 10,000 employees. I think that would be a bigger number. So their guidance for Q4 said they're going to try and grow to 691,000. So they'll try to do another 18,000 paid users in Q4. We'll see. It's going to be tough because I think there's so many apps that are like this now that are free. A lot of competition. Yeah. Like how do you yeah. convince people pay for us versus the other apps that are free? It's tough for Expensify too, because their stock price is like, or their market cap is like, I wanted to say when I looked at it, like 20 times earnings. So it's very high already. So unless they can grow dramatically, dramatically, they got to keep up that you know 70% kind of growth quarter after quarter after quarter in order to justify that value. Which gets hard if you're a decade old. Yeah, right? Like a lot of this hinges on their ability to release these new products that they're really- Like payroll and accounting. Yeah, exactly. Because no, there's no competition in those two fields either. <laughs> and you could say too, like, you know, Facebook's in the same situation, right? Like- Facebook's entire future is the metaverse, as Mark Zuckerberg has outlined. And if they can't do it, then they're going to be in big trouble. So if you're an investor in Facebook, you're kind of betting on that vision. I think it'd be worth talking just a little bit about the metaverse, David. 
I think that's a good transition into 2022 and predictions. So let me ask you this. Do you think the metaverse is going to change accounting? And we should probably stop for a second and actually say what we think the metaverse means, because I feel like we talk about this term. This term has been tossed around, but like nobody actually has a common definition for it. I mean, metaverse is basically just virtual reality, right? You put on a headset and now you're in an alternate virtual reality, three-dimensional, and you can walk around and interact with things. And that's what the metaverse is, like uh, that movie, Ready Player One, if you saw that. That to me is what the metaverse is. And I get it. My son has one of those Oculuses and I put it on and you're walking around with the dinosaurs inside of Jurassic Park and it feels very real. And you can float around the space station and it feels very real, like you're there. One of the articles I have from Predictions, this is a bunch of VCs, and it specifically talks about the metaverse. And there's a quote in here and it says, virtual reality will be good enough that the hardware is not quite ready, no longer will be an excuse. So like we're here now, it, the hardware works. Does it though? Like, cause I haven't used a VR headset in a year or two. Has Oculus gotten good enough? It's where really it... good. It, like, it's, it's really, really good. Because of that, it's accessible and the world will see the metaverse for what it is. It's mostly lame. <laughs> you do it, you're now or you're in there, this is lame. Uh, and it's funny because I look at Google and they're advertising that the Oculus that's made by Facebook bought them. Facebook makes Oculus, yeah. And they're advertising it like the female, she's exercising with it. And it's like a workout, right? They're really marketing yeah. this as women to use for a workout, a virtual workout thing instead of getting mm -hmm. a Peloton or something. Being somebody who works out, there's no way I'm going to put on. <laughs> you're going to strap a, a headset. A big old on headset like on that's hot and it's completely immersive. You know, it's around your ears and everything, right? I don't know. It just seems silly. <laughs> and hold these two controllers to work out. It's weird. I, I do agree. It's probably going to, most people are going to use it and be like, this is lame. So my friend, Dan Gertrude's from Growth Lab, wrote an article for Accounting Today called Five Ways the Metaverse Will Change Accounting. And he asked me to edit this thing. So I'm familiar with it. So I thought I'd talk about it on the story or on the show because I actually was very skeptical when he sent me this. I said, um, <laughs> really? That's what I said to myself. Five ways 5G will it change accounting. Well, because, you know, I'm not a fan of Facebook or Zuckerberg. I think anybody who talks to me about this knows. Like, I think they're just a horrible, just evil to company. Totally derail everything. Have you watched on Netflix, Don't Look Up? Not yet. Oh, so there's a character. I don't even know who this actor is. He took Steve Jobs. Um, who's the current CEO of Apple? Tim Cook, right? Tim Cook, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and um, Mark Zuckerberg, and like mushed them into one person. It is the most genius acting move I've ever seen. Yeah, so when you watch the movie, like he steals okay. the whole movie. Who, who is the actor? I don't know. Oh, okay. Like, I have no idea who he is, but he just stole the whole movie because like he, he captured all of those people in one character. It's amazing. And, Je and uh, Jeff Bezos, he cap captured them all in one character. The it's tech crazy. mogul, the tech evil. The evil tech moguls, exactly. The new bad guy for all of our movies. So there is one area where I agree with Dan, actually a couple on this list of like ways metaverse will impact accounting. And I actually think, I mean, I have to try the Oculus now because I haven't tried one since it was really grainy and bad. But I think that for, for VR experiences where you're not moving around, it could actually be really helpful. And a great example would be having meetings in virtual reality. There is an element of remote work and being confined in our offices and seeing people on a flat screen that just doesn't work by itself. And if you could fix that, if you could make a more physical experience and be able to meet with people in VR and have that be a good experience and better, then like that could be a big game changer. 
And as our avatars get better and as these devices get better at tracking our movements and our facial expressions, it could really work. So I think that like meeting with clients and maybe potential employees and VR could be a thing. Number two on the list is training and development of new team members. It can be really hard to train people virtually or in a hybrid environment. What if you had virtual reality as a way to do that? To do audit work? (laughs) I'm trying to, like, like, this is where it gets, like. So one of the things that Dan showed me is you could conceivably use the headset as your virtual workspace. So you, you put on the headset and then you have as many computer screens in your field of vision as you need, and you can interact with the the screens. Think about this, potentially in the future, as this technology improves, instead of sitting down to like a monitor on your desk, you just have a keyboard on your desk and you just put on your Oculus headset and then you see your screen in virtual reality. This I'll buy into. I will buy into this. You would just have this giant spreadsheet. Excel would just be... It would be infinite. Yeah, it would be like a skyscraper, Excel. Yeah. And you would just zoom around it. I'm in on that. I believe you. I could see people just putting that on to have a big, huge Excel spreadsheet screen. Yeah. Imagine a spreadsheet that you could like hover over and it's just, it's miles wide or something. It's just a wall, right? You're just looking up, down, left, right? You just, the whole wall is a spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that one. Check. Those are the two that I really liked. And I think I would actually say like, it it will not just change accounting. It'll change all sorts of remote work because we're looking for ways to get that in-person experience. And yeah, the technology is like super basic now, but just think about the internet. Think about what we had before the internet. It was like bulletin board systems, BBSs, and nobody thought that was going to become Facebook. So maybe what we have now is going to be something as equally dramatic over the next 10, 20 years. I think you were on a podcast a long time ago and you said, hey, when you have your clients come in, why don't you just buy them an iPad for 500 bucks, an iPad mini, and you have your reporting solution on it and you have them logged into all their apps and you just give that to them and that's how they can see the results you're doing for their bookkeeping practice, right? And interact with your practice management system, send you stuff, yeah. Right, right. and you would even impress them. Well, maybe that's, I, I think these VR headsets are only 300 bucks. Like they you can, can buy be. one of these yeah. for your client and then video call through it, I guess. I don't know. Maybe. So so that's enough on the metaverse. What other trends are being talked about in accounting that you have seen? I, I think there's the very obvious ones like hybrid work. is. There's a lot of articles out there I went through. Hybrid work is here to stay. Hybrid work is here to stay. Automation, robotic process automation, a lot of that stuff just is in almost all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the you know, staffing, we're going to have staffing problems still. Great resignation. Uh, great resignation. Work-life balance, like that's going to be really one of the most important things of all, flexibility, work-life balance, which are some of the things we talked about with the hiring and, and the and diversity and inclusion, right? These are going to be things that are big trends and big at, at the firms. But I think these are on everybody's list. They're all very, very similar. I also saw ESG, so that's the Environmental Sustainability Reporting Standards. Well, we don't really have a standard yet, and somebody needs to come up with a better universal standard for that. That's a big trend in accounting. Advisory services, blockchain, so much of it's the same, the same, same, same stuff. Um, this was a, a website called gogravity.com, which I think Gravity is a SaaS-based cloud accounting GL. It mm-hmm. might actually add on to Salesforce, I'm not positive. But they had a, a article, six accounting predictions for 2022. One of theirs was that the finance role is changing to where yeah. if you're the CFO, you're now having to take on the role of chief value officer. And I think this might be a correct prediction. And this goes back to what we talked about when we were at thinking about 
the business or the the accounting system and the systems is the business now. They are the business now. Yes. The other so, big one is there's going to be a well, new buzzword we're going to start hearing called digital transformation. Well, we've, we've been hearing that forever. Digital yeah. transformation, digital, but it's like every but, single stupid corporate blog post from some software vendor says how to prepare for digital transformation. But it's not a single event or an end game. <laughs> it's, it's an endlessly turning wheel of evolving technology, but now they have data. 68% of CFOs plan to invest in digital transformation over the next 12 months. It's so, you're right, it's very vague and weird. It's just a buzzword for information technology or for systems. My big takeaway from this year was that quote from Aaron Harris at Sage. The system, the accounting system, the finance system, the operation system, the the software that that we used to use to track information about the business is now becoming the business itself. And this is going to fundamentally change accounting, right? Because what is accounting? What is accounting? It is an information system for a specific type of information. And the reason that accountants have been struggling to keep up is that we have failed to understand that the information system has broadened beyond accounting to the whole business. And if we don't learn how to take ownership of the data and manage an information system that is beyond financial data, that is operational, we're going to become irrelevant because somebody else is going to take ownership of our data. Who owns the data owns the power and the business. I mean, it's the same thing in competitive business situations. If you have data about customers and your competitor doesn't, you're going to win because you're going to be able to create products that customers want to buy and they're just going to be guessing. It's kind of the same thing internally in the business. Whoever owns the data who can produce the best information and the insights is going to end up owning the accounting system and, and all that, In theory, right? the accountants and the accountant team should own that. They should. They have a, there's an opportunity here, right? Yeah, a huge opportunity. And, and we've seen that. But unfortunately, a lot of those people that we talk to that are doing that, they aren't coming from the accounting profession. They're coming from outside. They're coming from finance. They're coming from data analytics from the IT side. Marketing. They're not coming from the accounting department because accountants aren't taught how to think broadly like that. We're still trained on the nitty gritty technical stuff and not the big picture stuff. This is the big thing that's going to affect our profession. One of the big things. One of the other things I saw, hybrid work models, people are predicting that will kill all virtual happy happy hours. <laughs> so that probably is going to happen. They're also talking about the whole bro culture. That would be a positive thing, right? Like, Yeah. So yeah. instead of you're, you're eating at work, you're playing ping pong at work, you never leave work, you get that bro culture, you're drinking at work. Because of people working at home, the flexibility, the emphasis now on families and hobbies and creative endeavors. And they think that really in the long run is going to be happier employees and eventually be better productivity. I mean, I think the jury's still on that one. Obviously, the talent shortage, the more talent shortage we have, the more tech's going to be produced because that's the only way to, to bridge this gap. Yep. It's going to accelerate tech. This whole, you know, Web3 which is the other, and we'll probably hear about this all the time, but Web3, 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 um, which is still being defined. And there's big, all, all the big tech, uh, what'd you call them? Evil moguls? Um, moguls. They're in big, big public fights on Twitter right now about Web3, who controls it, what is it, what will it become, if you want to watch something on the sideline. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Web3 is basically the idea of web addresses being on a blockchain, so it's not controlled by any well, it depends single on organization, who you, right? subscribe to and 
like it's a point where I think Mark Andreessen like blocked Jack Dorsey from Square on Twitter. They were arguing about it. Yeah, I don't know how to define it because that's just going to get me blocked. It, it's the new, you know, the newest thing in this country. It's don't look up, right? Don't look up, look down, right? It's just, it's the newest thing to argue about. Is what is Web three? It's kind of funny. Wikipedia says that Web three is the idea for a new iteration of the World Wide Web that incorporates decentralization based on blockchains. To me, that indicates you know you can like register a web domain, and it's not it's not overseen by ICANN, which is that not for profit that you know administers our domain registries and all that stuff. It would be on a blockchain, so decentralized. Nobody can kick you off. All that stuff. Dorsey is a, a huge advocate for decentralization and you know the power of blockchain to eliminate middlemen and that's what he espouses and he's saying like all these vcs pouring money into it they're trying to trick you they're gonna like try to own it like why else would they be doing this and that's why they've been fighting because he's basically calling them out on you don't really believe in web3 you're just trying to own the next great real estate online just the same with the metaverse right yeah it's a land grab and i think that's some of these blog posts i'll just include them in there like you know people make 20 pr- uh, predictions, right? They're just, they're just spraying a shotgun. And, and of course, two or three are going to be correct. It's, I think it's harder to make a smaller number of predictions. Do you have any predictions of things that will actually happen in 2022? Okay. So I do have our kind of going back to some of our old stuff. I can see where in 2019, you predicted that firms are going to figure out how to communicate better with clients. Hey, I, that came true, right? I think so, right? Because everybody had to use Zoom and everybody had to change because of the pandemic. So I think you nailed that one. Well, and the other thing I was very bullish on was texting with customers, clients, right? And and we have a lot of apps now in practice management that are saying you should message people, don't use email. And they're basically creating text message type systems. Yeah. And I think in like 2020, I predicted zero QuickBooks, zero square, they're going to create a bank. Yeah. You got that. I think, you know, for 2020, something else I predicted is that the lines were going to get blurred. Apps, they'll do bill payment, but they'll do receipts and credit cards and banks, expenses, bill pay. Like everybody's doing every other, everybody else's work. You skipped past your 2019 prediction, David. You said that B2B payments via credit cards are going to die off. Yes. (laughs) But I think the March has started, but people are still paying the paper check still. So I don't know. Well, it's funny because that's one of Emilio's like biggest products, right? Is the ability to pay a bill with a credit card. <laughs> yeah, exactly from that. But I think people yeah. like a flat out merchant service, right? right? You're going to, you're going to get your, the people that owe you money to, if they're B2B to pay you through ACH, et cetera. Yeah. I feel like for 2021, so you had cash flow forecasting modeling will have more firms go into it, more money without adding more clients. Firms will add cash flow management. How do you think that turned out? I don't know. I haven't heard like a ton about that. I think firms are still figuring it out. I mean, that was when I joined Giraffe, right? And that's what we did. And so I was very bullish on that. I'm still bullish on that. I think it's a great service line. I think it's just very challenging for accounts to learn how to do that because it's finance. It's not accounting. It's not what we're taught in school. And so it's going slower. And in 2021, I predicted that somebody we didn't expect is going to be in our space, Amazon, Netflix. I don't necessarily know if we truly got that. I think we got a lot of hints from it. Walmart's invested. Amazon, Jeff Bezos invested, right? We're starting to see people from the fringes starting to get into our space. They didn't directly get in. It's not like Amazon started doing bookkeeping, but Jeff Bezos personally investing in Pilot and Pilot is an accounting firm. To me, that's 
good enough. Yeah, I but think. Amazon did buy like some sort of inventory management system for sellers. Like, okay, it, it's getting yeah. great, right? Like, yeah, I yeah. don't think we. I thought it was going to be a little bit more major, but I, I think it's, it's tiptoeing in the waters. But let's jump into our 2022. Okay, so my prediction for 2022 is based on what happened in 2021, which is we saw Eisner Amper split off the audit side of the practice and put consulting and tax in a non-CPA firm entity. I think that more and more accounting firms are going to decide not to be CPA firms. And the definition of what is an accounting firm, having that be linked to being a CPA firm is going to break or continue to fracture because it just makes so much sense. Like why put up with the regulation around being a CPA firm when all the money-making opportunity is in accounting services that don't require the license, the growth opportunity anyway. Yeah. So I have a prediction that ties onto that maybe. I, I think you know we've obviously seen the, the last year, 18 months or so, insane amount of money going to the apps. But it was funny oh, yeah. you think about four years ago, an acquisition or was like $70 million. Now these apps are getting $250 million, $300 million rounds. Like it's nothing right now, right? Mm-hmm. I think a new unicorn is being minted at a like 1.2 a day right now. It's kind of crazy as far as that goes. But what I think is going to happen is that crazy money we're seeing in the apps, as your prediction comes true, we're going to see firms get this crazy money. Get more private equity because it, the money has to go somewhere. And private equity is down the list from tech startups and VC money, right? So it'll flow there eventually. It's going to look for a slightly lower return and accounting firms can deliver that. I think accounting firms could deliver. I, we know personally of firms that are growing 50% annually. Now that's hard to keep up, but you could definitely do less than that. You could do like 20% easily if you are modern and you're not stuck in the past. And there's plenty of, I think, PE investors that are happy to take that kind of growth. And obviously yeah. they want it because they're already they've already invested in accounting firm apps or these accounting firms with engineers. Yeah. So the money's there. So that's going to encourage. Like, there's no doubt you hit your prediction because the money's going to drive that. People are going to be like, "How do I get some of that yeah. money? Oh, I'm going to re- reorganize my accounting firm." Now you're not going to be able to get that kind of money if you're only ten people. That's the thing. So if you want to think ahead, you got to grow your firm to the point where it's self-sustaining. So that to me is going to be like two dozen people. If you can get to that point where you've got two dozen people in your firm and you've got really good systems and processes and good marketing, you could probably go out and get private equity investment starting there. I have a couple other smaller ones, I think. Um, I think all the niche apps you use are going to have built-in bank accounts, built-in payroll, built-in AP. Well, that yeah, that's because these companies are building those API for payroll, API for everything kind of services, right? In proof of this, I think, I mean, it's it's arguably halfway here, but I think uh, we talked about this during the year Toast. Toast has their own payroll and half of every customer that comes on Toast, every new restaurant, half of them just use their payroll. It's like every niche app is going to do that because there's leaving money on the table. Toast is the point of sale that I see everywhere with the QR codes on Exactly. The... It's Toast, yep. Yeah, point of sale. And so they have built-in payroll now through check? Is it through no, check? No, it's their own. I don't know who, who powers it, but they have, they have their own payroll. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing is like people just use it because it's built-in. They must be using something on the back end. Yeah, it's possibly. Yeah, I yeah. don't know the the details on that. I think we're going to see like a major, major acquisitions, like someone buying H&R Block, FreshBooks maybe being purchased by Shopify, or you know maybe Chase or Amex. I could see them buying the start of their GL stack. 
you know, where they, they're buying, oh, they have a reporting app and they've purchased a bill pay app and maybe they've purchased the GL. I could see Chase or Amex, like somebody major like that, starting to build a GL stack to compete with the QuickBooks and the zeros of the world, right? And then the other one is I think, just like with peer-to-peer, if I send you money through Venmo, you get it instantly. I think enough people have experienced peer-to-peer now where B2B payments, that's going to be the next step. And in a way, like QuickBooks is offering that, like you just said, through that, that invoicing thing. And that's the big opportunity is um, we had a survey that we talked about on a previous episode that said that only 30% of small businesses are set up for instant payments. So 70% of them are out there and it's such a good pain point to solve because they don't want to wait for that customer to pay. Give them the money now, do super easy invoice factoring. I think it's a brilliant move. And then QuickBooks gets to collect an extra, you know, point. 8% 8% on the transaction, right? Rather than their normal merchant fee. So they make a great margin. And there's tons, tons of businesses that are still just running on Venmo and things because it's it's instant. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason they're there. They're like, oh, you pay yep. me and I get the money right now. They'll deal with the being in compliance stuff later on. Right. And they're small enough where they don't have like lines of credit. So they have crappy cash flow. This solves that problem for them. Once you get used to something, it's just like people got used to because of the iPhones and Apple with the iPad coming out and like, you got used to that, like beautiful looking software. And eventually our apps became beautiful. They stopped looking like Oracle I expense. And so it's kind of that same thing. People get used to doing it on their personal life and then it rolls into the business world. That's kind of my, my predictions. You get, you have any other ones, Blake? The metaverse? I I said, I agree with the metaverse thing longer term. I think more accounting firms are going to decide not to be CPA firms. I think the CPA is going to still struggle to stay relevant. I don't see that reversing anytime soon. CPA firms are going to continue to struggle to recruit talent if they don't become more employee friendly. That's all I can think of right now. Oh, the other one I was going to ask you about, I think you predicted in 2021 that PPP will just keep going. The forgiveness application will never end. <laughs> Is yeah. PPP done? I don't know. Are I've, you wrong on this prediction? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the fraud, it will go on forever because the investigations for fraud will continue for a long, long time while they try to get back some of that fraud money. I have one more prediction. Okay. More and more accountants are going to get CPE by listening to podcasts and specifically the cloud accounting podcast, but not just ours, many others. And you can earn CPE for listening to this episode by going to earmarkcpe.com and downloading the app for iOS and for Android. The courses don't always go up immediately when the episode does, but we're doing our best to get those up after. So go in at least once a week to earmark on your phone and look for the latest cloud accounting podcast episode. And you can get in an hour, you can get an hour of uh, specialized knowledge CPE credit for your trouble for free. And it's not fluff, right? You're getting CPE credit because you actually did real work. Cause I actually download the app. I wanted to take the quiz for the podcast that I'm a co-host on. And the <laughs> questions were a little tough. <laughs> oh, well, good. You know, cause we're not just fluff and this show covers some complex topics. Now the good news is you can go take the quiz again if you fail it. So don't worry if you don't pass the first time, but yeah, like the goal is to actually increase your knowledge. You listen to this show to learn things, right? So why shouldn't you get credit for it? Yeah, and same for you, David. Taking notes. <laughs> yeah. You should become a CPA and then you can satisfy your, your requirements by doing earmark CPE. But if you want to do it just for fun. Do it just for fun too. And, and if you're looking to discover, you know, interesting content and maybe you don't need the CPE, you know, that's my goal too, is like, it's not just a CPE app, right? I want to help people find great accounting content. So the app's going to be much more than that eventually. That's just what we're starting with. So the next time we chat, it'll be 2022. 
you know, new year, new goals. I'm hoping to enter 2022 with no more like 2020 baggage and 2021 baggage that just lingers, you know, like broken bank feeds and all those types of things. I really want to go into 22 without any baggage. Like mm-hmm. what's, what's your, when I talk to you next week, where are you going to be at for 2022? In terms of like resolutions? Or yeah, I don't know. Resolutions, whatever you want so, to call it. I need to go through my closet and get rid of all the clothes that I never wear anymore because I work at home. <laughs> like that's what I need to do. I've still got clothes from my days at the firm on Wilshire Boulevard commuting in in, in Los Angeles. Like I'm never going to wear those clothes again. That's my uh, resolution. Clean out the closet. Perfect. And if people want to get a hold of you just to check in on how that's going, what's the best way? You can connect with me online. I am at Blake T. Oliver on Twitter. And you can email me, Blake at BlakeOliver.com. Any of your thoughts about the stories that we've talked about. We love getting listener feedback. In our last episode, we shared a bunch of those emails and we want to know what you think. So let me know. How about you, David? Um, I'm just at David Leary. You can tweet at the Cloud Accounting Podcast, Cloud ACCT Pod. Tweet out your predictions for 2022. I'd love to see some of them. Wonderful. Well, David, I'm going to go enjoy the last bit of my holiday vacation. I'll see you here next week. See you next year. See you next year. All right. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Hey, podcast listeners. It's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right. A true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.